Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. Welcome to episode 10 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today I want to help you teach your newbies how to navigate the keyboard quickly and easily. this episode of the podcast, I want to talk to you about the subject of keyboard or piano geography. In other words, how to find your way around the piano. Now, you may have noticed that this episode is pretty much just applicable to piano teachers. For the most part, I try to keep this podcast fairly relevant for all music teachers because I think we can all learn a lot from each other. And that's actually why I have the Vibrant Music Studio Teachers Facebook group. It's because I believe that we can learn from each other's experiences no matter which instrument we're teaching or where in the world we're teaching, um, and that most things are actually relevant to all instrumental and vocal teachers. This one, however, is a specific topic that is only relevant to piano teachers because, as I say, we're talking about piano geography. Now, the reason I wanted to record this podcast episode is because this is something that I used to neglect in my teaching a lot. And I've mentioned that previously, and it's something that I see other teachers neglecting too. You see, it can be tempting not to really teach this at all, and I get that. It seems like it's just logical, okay? It's the first seven letters of the alphabet, and that's fairly straightforward. And for an adult student, yes, they will find their own way around the piano using just that information, You just have to tell them and they're off on their way. It's not a big deal for them. But the more I started teaching preschoolers, the more I had to realize that this needed to be taught to them. Even the groups of black keys weren't immediately apparent to them. And I needed to put some effort into genuinely teaching this stuff. And as I started to teach this to preschoolers, I realized that it was really beneficial for everyone to be taught this stuff a little bit more explicitly, and especially everyone under the age of, say, 10, where before I was just giving them the information or they were absorbing it as we went through. Then I started teaching this to all of my students in a much more in-depth way. And I found a huge benefit in this. And now when I get transfer students in, I notice a massive difference in how quickly they can find the correct key and navigate the piano, which is obviously super important if you're going to be playing things, sight reading things, and just generally getting through lessons. So I've come to view this as a core concept that I want to teach all my students. 
but I have special strategies that I use to slow it down in those beginning years with preschoolers and younger students especially. Now, I'll just go through my approach and how I sequence things because everyone's a little bit different here. Um, I start obviously with the preschoolers, I start with the groups of black keys, the two and three black key groups. And this really needs different levels of teaching depending on the student. Some get it straight away, even at three years old, and some at six years old totally don't get it and need a lot of going over of this. And that's completely fine. If they need that extra reinforcement to see those patterns, it's better to do that now than a long way down the track when you realize actually the only note they can find is middle C and it's because they're relating it to the writing on the piano instead of actually navigating using the black keys. So we start with the groups of black keys and I introduce the D key, the the first white key I introduce is the key D because it's the easiest to find. There's no way to confuse left and right and there's no way to confuse which one it is in the middle because it is exactly in the middle of the two black keys. If all this sounds obvious to you then I I'm sorry for talking you through each step, but I didn't, this wasn't immediately apparent to me and I didn't pick this out as something I should teach first and foremost and ignore all the other white keys for quite a time. But that's what I do now. So D comes first and until I am absolutely positive that they know where D is and could find it with their eyes closed, then I don't move on to anything else. The next stage for me is to introduce C and E either side of D so that they have a group C, D, E and they practice finding them in a pattern going up and going down. Then we move to the three black keys and I introduce F first and again until I'm absolutely positive that they know F and can find it no matter what I won't introduce the group but when I do I'll introduce a full group together F, G, A, B. So they're starting in F and then we'll start doing it backwards as well B, A, G, F. This seems like a lot of stages And I get that. But you could understand how this could happen with a teenage student all in the first lesson, right? You're just checking that they can find D, they understand what you're saying, that they can find then the groups and do them backwards. And it's a little bit of a game and you're over with it. But if they need more reinforcement, you get to see which stage you need to put that reinforcement in as you go through. So when they do need more reinforcement, I'll start with... um, doing their technique exercises and songs from that particular key. So this could be, for example, at the beginning of Piano Safari, where they have the line pause, those all go from the Ds. So that's a great way to practice that key when I'm working on that one. When we've moved on to F, we'll practice line pause into the F or into the E or into the C. So we're moving through them and it's just that extra reinforcement. It provides an extra layer where we can work on that particular key that we're working on that day or that group. Likewise with their songs, if they're just working on a finger number pattern and we're going to transpose it, then I'll challenge them to find a certain key with a certain finger. So let's put finger two on G and we'll give this song a go there. If you're working on something like Mary Had a Little Lamb or something like that, where you're going to transpose it with them, this is a great activity to do and just add that extra little step that gives them some more practice finding keys and navigating the keyboard correctly. After D has been introduced and I've 
been working on groups of keys, that's where my games come in. Now, I'll start off before this even working with games when we're talking about the groups of black keys. And for those, especially with preschoolers, under sixes, let's say, I'll be using the keyboard builder, which is on my blog, and dogs and gates, which you'll also find there. So those are activities to work on the groups of black keys. And like I say, if a student gets that straight away, I'm not going to labor the point. I'm not going to go over and over it. But if they don't get it, it is so valuable to go over it lots of times. And they aren't bothered by it if it's framed as a game like this. So that's the way I work on the groups of two and three black keys. Then I'll start to introduce games. The first one I do is very simple. I like to call it this little hedgehog. Now I call it this little hedgehog because I use my little Iwako um, hedgehog erasers that I have, which are those little Japanese puzzle erasers. Doesn't have to be hedgehogs, okay? It could be anything. It could be any animal you have in tiny form or just rubbers and you know this little red rubber wants to sit here or this little post-it it doesn't really matter but it is fun to have an animal and it makes it that much more interactive and playful for your students and I'll ask them to put the hedgehog somewhere this is just to test their knowledge so if they're working just on c d and e I would ask them okay this little hedgehog wants to go on a low c this little hedgehog wants to go on a high e etc etc right and they're just demonstrating to you in that way that they can find first of all high and low keys that's another thing that they need to navigate at the piano but also that they can find a particular note and through that you'll see whether they have to go through the pattern whether they have to figure it out in some way or reference some other point or look at a poster that's up in your studio or whether they just jump straight to it. Over time, they should be able to immediately identify the keys, but it does take time for some students. So if they were on CDE, we would do it with that, FGAB with that, or I would have them do it with the whole group once they're ready for that as well. After this little hedgehog, um, one of the other games I like to do is called Key Clamber. This is a printable dice, which you can find in VMT if you're a member. But if you aren't a member, you could use the Decide Now app or um, make your own dice. I like to have them separate. So for Key Clamber, they're two separate dice. And one is just C, Ds and Es. And one is F, G, A, B. And I prefer to put two A's or two B's, sorry, two A's or two G's because those are the ones most easily confused. So that's just a little trick for you if you're making your own. Obviously, there's six sides on a die. So you have to double up on two of those. And I'll double up A and G because they're the middle ones. And you may have noticed that students get them confused because they're in the middle of the three black keys. It's not as easy to instantly find those. So I have two sets of dice and we'll either use CDE or FGAB or we'll do the full version which I do CDE on the way up and FGAB on the way down. So we're sitting little hedgehogs again or something else on the piano or on the paper keyboard that I have and working our way up. So we just roll the die one by one and move to the next nearest one of that. So you would move up to the first C or up to the next D etc as you roll and the winner is the first to reach the c at the top or the first to reach the a at the bottom depending on which version you're doing 
Another game I love to do is um, Musical Meander. And in fact, Musical Meander and Musical Alphabet Memory I'll put in the same camp here because with those ones, you're looking at the keys in a picture, right? It's a symbol of the piano keys. So it's just the group of two or group of three and you need to identify. This helps again for students to split up the two groups so that they have that as a reference point because otherwise they'll tend to go back to working from C all the way up or the worst case scenario is that they decide to only go from A at the bottom of the piano and remember that as a reference point. And that's just not a quick way to find your way around. So making sure that they understand those two groups and think about them in that way has been very useful for me. And those games, like I say, show pictures of the keys in the group of two or group of three. And then they need to identify the key name in order to match up pairs or musical meander. They're moving forward on a game board. I also have songs that I use um, that they sing along while they play. Now, songs is maybe a strong word for what these are. All I'm getting them to do is play C, D, E on the way up and then E, D, C on the way down. And likewise, F, G, A, B on the way up and B, A, G, F on the way down. So they have to play those groups one by one just with finger two or something and also say them. And I emphasize that because it doesn't count if they don't say them as they go. And I always make them restart if they don't say them. So that's just to reinforce the pattern, getting them saying it and practicing jumping between the groups and finding them really quickly as well. Now, as you might imagine, this takes quite a few weeks with some students to get through all these activities and each stage working from D to C, D, E to F to F, G, A, B. But it doesn't end when we get through all of those levels. The most important part and the lesson I've learned the hard way over and over again, especially with young students, is that you need to revisit these things time and time again going forward, even if it seems like they get it right now. So don't leave it two years until you ever play these games again, is what I'm saying. Have a little check-in every month or so, even after they seem to get all the keys. Because it won't always be coming up and they can find their own little tricks and ways of navigating where it's disguised when they're reading music, but suddenly it comes back to bite you. So have these little games. They can really only take a minute or two, some of them, to play with your student going forward just every so often. Have it a reminder for yourself to check in with these things, at least for the first year once a month or so. Having said that, it may take the full year for them to get through this whole process and that's okay too. It'll totally depend on the student and their age how long it takes them to get through this. As an average guideline with a preschooler, normally they'd have all their keys, they'd have gotten through FGAB and be working with the full set and identifying them pretty quickly after the first semester with me. But it does take up to the first semester for young students to get this. So be patient, keep reviewing stuff, and make sure you notice when it's just your expectations that are getting in the way. Because often preschoolers, young students, older students even, have no idea that they're going slowly unless you point it out to them or seem frustrated or give up on it. So just make sure to check your own expectations of progress as you work through this stuff. 
And when it comes to transfer students and adults, you're probably not going to want to start at the beginning, although you might. And you might still want to do some of these games. I've actually talked to teachers who have done things like Dogs and Gates and the Keyboard Builder with adult students. And if you introduce it in the right way and acknowledge that maybe it feels a little bit silly, but that you know it's useful, you might be surprised how well they react to it and how they get into the swing of it and have some fun with it too. I'd love to hear how you get on with these tips for teaching keyboard geography. If you already do something similar to this, if maybe you picked up something new this time, let me know about it. I'd love to hear your experiences in the Vibrant Music Studio Teachers Group on Facebook. If you're interested in how I teach the circle of fifths and chords and scales and all that kind of stuff to my students, then you should definitely register for my upcoming webinar. It's on Friday the 5th of October, so it's coming up soon, and it's, you can register at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash C-O-F for circle of fifths. So vibrantmusicteaching.com slash C-O-F, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. Bye for now. Vibrant Music Teaching members can now find the Transfer Student Transition special video inside the library, as well as all the other courses and the full library of games and activities for their students. If you're not a member yet, you might want to check it out. Go to vmt.ninja to join us today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.